Welcome to the podcast from Commonwealth Magazine. I'm Michael Jonas. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, the MBTA's Perk Program. Boston is enjoying a tremendous economic boom. The city is growing like crazy. High-paying jobs for skilled workers are plentiful. But the boom looks more like a bust for some residents. Housing costs are soaring, and that is pricing lots of families out of neighborhoods they've called home for generations. One of those places is Roxbury, the heart of the city's black community. Look no further than a recent city council hearing on displacement issues convened in Dudley Square that drew an overflow crowd of several hundred people. Joining us on the podcast today is Kim Janey. She is the Boston City Councilor for Roxbury, the South End, Dorchester, and Fenway, who sponsored the hearing. Welcome, Councilor Janey. Good morning. The problems highlighted at the hearing are by no means confined to Roxbury. Also joining the conversation today is Jared Johnson. He's a project manager at a Dorchester nonprofit affordable housing development agency. Jared is also a founder of Dorchester Growing Together, which is an affiliate of the YIMBY movement, a pro-growth initiative that says the way to address affordable housing needs is through more development. Welcome, Jared. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So, Councillor Janey, um, were, were you surprised by the uh, by the by the showing at the hearing? Uh, you know, from everything we heard, it was just uh, packed, and and the room couldn't even accommodate the people there. I, I'm guessing that you, uh, uh, as the councillor for the area, have uh, your finger on the pulse of things. So maybe you you were you were uh, expecting that, but I just Not wonder what your reaction. At all. We had 350 people. Overflow, standing room only. We had to accommodate folks in another room where people could sit and view. The the interest in the hearing was very high because the issue is a very hot issue, and people are feeling of the heat. People are being pushed out um, of our neighborhood, and so we need to make sure that we're coming up with creative solutions to keep residents who want to be in Roxbury in Roxbury. And I mean, I, is this something that you're? You know, does your office hear from people on an individual basis? I know, you know, people come for constituent services. Do you get yep. calls Lots from families? Of, what What yep. is the nature Lots of it, or calls, what do you hear from people? Calls around eviction, uh, displacement. Um, some folks have been displaced through fires. Um, others who are having a difficult time paying on their, their property taxes. So there are a lot of things that contribute to this crisis. Um, one in particular, though, is that we, for a long time, have been locked out of home ownership, many uh, communities of color, for a number of generations, which has then created this this wealth gap that we see in Boston. And so there are sort of generations of families that have been renters, and they're very, I mean, they're much more uh, vulnerable exactly. to, to what's happening and with the market. And in my district, it's 81% renter-occupied versus 18% owner-occupied, so they're much more vulnerable the renters are much more vulnerable because, you know, landlords can come and, and raise the rents or sell the building, convert it to a condo, and, and residents then find themselves uh, looking for a new place and often cannot find it. If they are able to stay in housing, they're often uh, paying much more than 30% of their income in rent, which makes it very difficult to save and purchase a home if that's what they would like to do. So it's, it's a really challenging issue. And in particular, I mean, I know there's been t- concern for some time that the sort of gentrification or displacement pressures were going to were going to reach into Roxbury. Uh, you know, in some ways, it's you know, as you move out the city along the you know Washington Street, you go from the South End into Roxbury, and so in some ways, we saw this story play out. You know, 
over the last several decades in the South End, which certainly has a very different sort of economic composition, the, the residents there, than, than it once had. And, and uh, everybody says, you know, Roxbury's close to the city, it's got beautiful housing stock, and it's almost sort of ripe for this kind of pressure. Uh, I mean, how do, you, how do you see the challenge, Jared, of, of, of what's happening there? Yeah, I, I see it as, as a couple of different things. I, I see it as, you know, supply is obviously part of the issue. If, if there's not an adequate supply and there's not the, the, uh, the laws in place, then it's very easy for developers to just say, all right, well then, you know, if we can't accommodate the units, then we're just going to, you know, do those condo conversions that the council talked about. And it's also a regional issue. You know, when you have wealthier white communities in, um, say, um, Back Bay, you know, saying on top of an MBTA station right on Boylston and Mass Ave, that's too tall, then what happens is it's a trickle-down effect. So you have the folks who were going to be in that building, you know, who they lost on the, who, you know, are not in those, those, uh, those floors that are taken off, then go to the South End, and then they price out folks in the South End who then go to JP, who then go to Roxbury. So it, it, it's, it's, it's a lot of different things. It's a lack of supply. It's a lack of, of, of you know, tenant protections. And it's also the fact that we're not having a regional approach. I mean, I'm glad that we started to have some of the conversation in that Metro Mayor's issue. But, you know, what happens in, in Newton um, and in other, other areas of the, of the entire metro uh, affects Boston and it, and it affects communities like Roxbury. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I know the city, uh, I don't know if I'd say they're a little defensive about, you know, the work mm-hmm. they've done. But the, just uh, early in December, uh, put out a report saying that, I think uh, about one out of every five housing units in the city has some kind of protection. The city was kind of touting that, that it's, I think, the highest percentage, perhaps, of any large city in the country. Um, but, uh, you know, as helpful as that might be, it doesn't seem to be enough to, to, to respond to the needs uh, yeah, many, that are there. Many of those, though, are deeply <coughs> affordable. So you're looking at public housing stock. So for folks who don't live in public housing, who earn too much money for public housing um, or some other kind of income-restricted apartment, are left to the marketplace. And so for many of those families, they are just uh, pushed out when rents go up. So they can't necessarily afford to, to compete in the market rate rents. And so they're very vulnerable. And so many folks I've heard from who are, are moving to Randolph and Brockton and other areas because they can't afford the rents here and they can't afford to buy here. Mm-hmm. The council's right on the, the money in that, and that, 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 you know, a missing spot is, is that, that, that middle-income housing for folks who are just above, you know, the technical, uh, what we call affordable housing in that 60% of area medium income range. And, you know, that's the housing that, that you know, I think can be built, um, you know, through the market with little to no, um, little to no, you know, city or federal subsidy, but it's going to take us changing the way we look at things. So, what does that change have to be, both from the private development point yeah. of view, or, or just you know, go ahead and sort of tackle that? It's sure, the world, sure. The world you work <clears throat> within. I think it's it's um there's there's two main reasons why we're not building those um, building that style of housing. That is the cost to build it. What our zoning and permitting incentivizes is that luxury housing, and so we've got to look at you know. Um, you know, not not just for everybody, but if you're building a certain types of certain type of housing, you know, let's look at how can we make permitting and zoning easier for you. Uh, you know, let's look at, um, you know, how can we do you know upzoning um, and and allow them more density if they're if they're bringing um, housing that is 
you know, that is, you know, for that middle income housing. And then let's also look at how can we lower the cost to build? Um, you know, there's some really neat things happening with prefab housing and with, uh, you know, housing solutions, but they've got to be built to scale. You know, unfortunately right now there, there's no, um, you know, prefab, um, you know, plants here in Boston. And so we need to look at that. And, and one of the ways that it's been made, um, that it's been made uh, easier in other places is when the city or, or a government entity says, we're going to require X amount of housing to be built this way. And mm-hmm. then you have that, then that, that gives the, the, uh, the companies the incentive to, to, to bring their factories here and say, all right, we're going to do this because we know we've got a guaranteed, um, guaranteed customer base. So that's, you know, those, those are a couple of the things that we've got to look at. And Councilor J.D., I mean, what, uh, you know, we certainly uh, heard at the hearing, I don't think there's any doubt documenting the severity of the, of the problem, but what do you think should be the approaches now? I mean, I know there was some talk that there should be just a moratorium on all development in Roxbury. Uh, one of your council colleagues, I heard, even threw out the, uh, rent, the control. rent control yeah. idea, which, uh, it has, you know, people have to be old enough to know that was a, the subject of a statewide ballot question back in the 90s, and it, and it was, uh, you know, eliminated at that time. I'm not sure there's going to be a lot of appetite to bring it back, but, but uh, you know, who knows, given the, the nature of the, of, the, of the circumstances. So, Well, I think it has to be part of the conversation. So all things mm-hmm. really have to be on the table. There isn't one, um, you know, magic pill that we can take that's going to solve this. We're not going to build our way out of it. So, you know, in part, maybe it's supply and demand, but we keep building housing that people who live in the city can't afford to live in. So we can't keep doing what we've been doing. So we've got these luxury towers that are coming up. We've got the upzoning that's happening um, where neighbors and residents are not really pleased with that process. So, you know, one question is how do we really engage residents in the conversation in a different kind of way that um, they can be part of the solution? Um, I think there are some things that we can do at the city level, like a vacancy tax, um, graduated transfer taxes to discourage flipping. Um, so there are, there are all kinds of things that we've got to look at. The condo conversion uh, ordinance is getting ready to expire. We've got to look at that. When we have affordable units that have expiring use, and most of them all do, we've got to make sure we're keeping track of that so that we can extend those leases and that they don't become part of the, the market rate rentals. Um, and we have to be intentional about those folks in the middle. When we talk about 60 70% AMI or 80% AMI, for many folks, particularly... AMI know, is what, the average median income? Yes. Okay. Um, so one, we need to look at that chart and look at and see whether we need to revise it. And I would suggest, yes, that we do. But two, we can't just look at just the, the lowest of the low. We also have to make sure that we're looking at 60 and 70 because those are our teachers, those are our firefighters, those are garbage you know, collectors. Those are people who make cities strong and communities strong and vibrant. So we've got to make sure that there's housing for all of us uh, uh, in the city of Boston and particularly in neighborhoods like Roxbury. We're going to take a brief break. We'll be back after a word from our sponsor. Time is money. Commuting can be a pain. Save time and money and make your commute a little easier with PERC, the new transit pass program from the T. With PERC, you get a monthly pass that automatically renews and get savings on your taxes. Ask your employer how they can sign you up. For more info, go to perk.mbta.com. That's perk with a Q. .mbta.com. We're talking about displacement issues in Roxbury and throughout Boston with District City Councilor Kim Janey and Jared Johnson. 
I mean, what about this issue, Jared? I mean, this has been part of the debate about, you know, can we build our way out? Is it a supply? Is it simply a supply and demand issue, or is it that? But other, are there other dimensions as well to it? Yeah, no, it's 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 definitely not just simply a supply and demand. But all of the tenant protections, everything is easier when there is more supply. You know, if if we were to wave a magic wand and we were to have the the best tenant protections in the world, but we were still um, having some of the roadblocks to to development, then we would still be in trouble. You know, we, we we would still be in trouble because we're still we're still growing as a city, and and you know a lot of the the animus that you know that happens when we talk about the city growing is because people have in their mind who who that growth is, and it's you know it's it's you know um, you know it's it's a you know white millennial in a tech job, but you know but when we're also not building and we're also not adding supply, we're not making it um, easy for. Um, you know, for our, for immigrants, immigrants coming from you know from Puerto Rico, or well, not immigrants from Puerto Rico, but people from Puerto Rico and immigrants from the Dominican Republic and other places. Um, you know, retire, uh, returning returning uh, seniors. You know, folks who you know grew up in grew up in Roxbury. You know, moved to to Randolph. You know, to raise their kids, and you know now that they're empty nesters, would like to come back. So, you know, it's 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 definitely not just about supply and demand. But there's you know, if if we can kind of move the Overton window, there, there's definitely not a I don't see a future in which um, the 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 housing stock and the, the visual look of Boston stays the same, and we have affordable housing. I, I, I that to me that 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 doesn't that doesn't jive. And to me, it's like the, the community and the neighborhood is is the people. Um, and you know, and that's not saying that that you know we need to raise a single family neighborhood and put up giant towers, but it is saying you know in a neighborhood full of triple deckers, you know, if there is a space where there's you know um, Two triple deckers that have, that have burned down or something, and there's a, a decent sized lot. You know that does mean being okay with you know instead of just two triple deckers going up in six units, maybe it's twelve units um, or, or or something something larger. So I think that's that's um, that, that's a part of it. It's not just supply and demand, but supply and demand is a is a big part of it. So I think one of the things that was crystal clear at my hearing last week was this feeling of um, housing being created for people who don't live here at the expense for people who do live here. And, you know, the question of how we do development without displacement, making sure that there's strong anti-displacement language and intention, making sure that um, we are intentional about who we are trying to welcome into our city, um, because it is our people that make our neighborhood strong and make Boston the city that it is. And so we've got to be very careful to make sure that you know, there are protections in place um, for homeowners as well as renters that we're doing more to offer affordable homeownership opportunities to close this wealth gap that we have in the city of Boston, which we all know now is $8 for a black family versus 247500 for white families in the city of Boston. Part of the reason we have that wealth gap is because of the lack of home ownership opportunities and the discriminatory policies that were in place for generations and decades. And so now we find ourselves in this crisis, this big economic boom, and so many folks being left out of it. So many folks. And so, I mean, I mean, what would be the first couple of steps you'd like to see the city do? I mean, is, is this something where, uh, the, you know, in spite of what the efforts so far, I mean, has the, has the administration kind of they asleep at the switch on this, or do you think they're uh, they're sufficiently uh, um, sensitive to the kind of urgency 
that, 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 that was uh, in evidence at your hearing? I think obviously there's more that can be done um, and more needs to happen to make sure that we are putting these protections in place. Some of the ordinances that I mentioned that you know are possible ordinances, some of them don't exist. Uh, yet, but those those are some of the things that we are looking at, you know, on the city council, um, that have come up at uh, last week's hearing, came up in working sessions and other hearings around, you know, our housing crisis, and and I think you know certainly it's at the top of my list, in terms of my priorities, making sure that we're doing all that we can to ensure that Roxbury residents and and residents across the city can stay in the city. And is it something that, um, I mean, that, that you think your colleagues are ready to embrace? And is it also an issue that, uh, is this something that could be, uh, I guess, sort of a win-win? I mean, in terms of the development community, is this going to be uh, a solution? Is it going to come through sort of, uh, you know, kind of a showdown or a battle with developers who want to develop? Or is it something that, that can be uh, sort of worked on with, with developers? I mean, a lot of most housing that gets built is built privately, so developers are part of the housing solution uh, at, so, at, at the end of the day. So I never try to speak for my colleagues, but I would uh, imagine that they're hearing from their constituents as well. Mm -hmm. This is a, a crisis that is facing uh, several neighborhoods across the city. It's not just Roxbury. Um, you mentioned the South End earlier. You know, I had first-hand experience with that in terms of my own family being displaced when the South End was gentrified. Mm -hmm. um, and I know my colleagues are hearing um, from their constituents as well. Um, I think in terms of, you know, private development versus public development, there's certainly opportunity when it comes to public land that we can do a lot more to put uh, some protections in place. Um, and then we can also just make sure that there are protections when it comes to... Um, some of the other things that I, that I mentioned earlier. I think the other thing, though, that is missing, mm -hmm. uh, particularly, you know, as I think about the district that I represent, um, we often talk about the need for affordable housing, which we certainly need, and we need to make sure that residents can, can afford to stay. But we also have to make sure that there are opportunities for economic mobility. Part of the reason why people can't afford to stay um, in, in, in our city or in different neighborhoods is because their incomes are not keeping pace with the rising cost of housing. We see in a neighborhood like Roxbury, um, over a five-year period from 2010 to 2015, an increase in housing prices of 70%. That's compared to the city overall of 36%. So Roxbury as a neighborhood has doubled um, what the city has done, and it's not that our incomes have doubled. Our incomes certainly haven't doubled. So we've got to make sure that there are more opportunities for better jobs. We've got to support our small business owners who often create jobs for people in our communities, people of color, women, immigrants, all the people that make our neighborhood strong. So it's got to be um, not just a housing side, but also an economic mobility side to this. Yeah, I'll absolutely second that. I think you know we we de we definitely need more more jobs in in neighborhoods like Roxbury and Dorchester. You know, both for for the economic development of the residents to help with traffic problems, so many things. And I think that's where you know the right kind of mixed development, um, the right sorry, the right kind of mixed use development uh, can help. Um, and 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 putting in there you know some language around um, local hiring and making sure that that when you're you know you're putting up these 
um, mixed-use developments that they're hiring local. And I think also going back to your, your question about the developer thing, I think it's absolutely going to have to be in, in partnership with, with, um, with development. Because in, yeah, in the city of Boston, it's 100% of the, the building that we do is done by, by private developers. You know, some of them are nonprofit developers, uh, like organization I work for. But, you know, so that absolutely is part of it. And I think, you know, <clears throat> to use an analogy, um, you know, with cars, and I know, that, I know that cars are not the same as housing, but it's the most similar long-term kind of finance purchase. You know, um, if, if we had some artificial restriction on the number of Camrys that Toyota could make, they would say, okay, well then, fine, then we're going to make, you know, we're going to just make Lexuses. But, you know, absent that, you know, they're able to make a lot of money off of that, off of that, you know, cheaper product. So I think, you know, if, if you are incentivizing it and, and you're, and you're removing some of those barriers, you're absolutely going to find them uh, making that kind of housing. And I think if you, you know, there was a study, and I wish I could remember the exact source, but the study was talking about how, you know, with when you have super restrictive um, permitting and zoning processes, what happens is the, and a lot of times either the worst of the worst developer is the one that comes out on top or the one with the most money uh, because you've, you've, you know, a lot of times the, the, um, the developer who, um, you know, is the most well-resourced, the most connected, uh, and is going to charge the highest rents. Or sometimes the least savory is the one that comes out on top uh, because, you know, they can put up with all of the back and forth and the long delay times in zoning because they know they're going to get high rents out of it. Or, you know, they can go and talk and schmooze to whoever they need to to get it done. Um, so if we want different kind of developers, if we want, you know, um, someone who, who, you know, is a Roxbury, Dorchester resident, lives on that street and sees an open lot and is entrepreneur, entrepreneurial uh, and wants to try to make uh, housing for their community, then we've got to make sure that the zoning code is easy for them to understand. And that, again, we're, we're, we're putting in place those, um, those shortcuts or the, those, those, in, those incentives uh, that's kind of special treatment for folks who are going to do the kind of housing that we really need in the city. Well, too often, I think developers are just looking at this through the opportunity to kind of snatch and grab some money. And, and you know, there, there, there aren't enough of the developers who really want to build strong communities who are part of the community. There are some, but not many. And so, you know, I think we've got to do more to hold developers accountable to working with communities and creating the right housing mix. And there are many who would argue that the, the zoning laws are not strict enough, or even if they are strict or loose, it, it matters not because when they need a variance, they goes to the ZBA and then the ZBA approves the project anyway. And so we've heard you know much of that at the, at the hearing last week. Um, so we've got to look at how we do this right, how we get the right mix of housing, how we involve folks in that conversation uh, that is solution-driven um, so that we can move forward as a city. And, and how about this question about um, uh, zoning limits or, or density? I mean, that's always kind of a, the, the big uh, uh, the fear people have, or there's talk that if we build if you know the development's too dense, then that there's actually to Jared's point, although that wasn't what he was talking about about cars. The <laughs> spillover question is always there's going to be too much traffic, or there isn't enough parking. And a lot of people have argued that um, you know we need to rethink the way cities operate. It's you know not everyone is going to rely on a car, and also in terms of density, the city is growing sort of 
going back toward you know sort of the high water mark when I mean there was I think at one time seven or eight hundred thousand residents we're now we're now maybe around seven hundred but the household sizes are smaller I mean again that's a function of just the changing ways people live it's also a function of the wealth in the city that you know units that in the past would have had a family of four or five six people now may have two but the result of that is that the housing units we have don't aren't accommodating the same number of people. So if we're pushing our population up by the, it, at the rate that we are, um, you can kind of see the case being made that we need to be welcome to more, more density. Um, but that's a concern. You know, in every neighborhood, there's, there's, there are people who, who essentially resist seeing any change in kind of the physical composition of the housing stock. Yep. Change is tough. Change is tough. Um, a growing city has growing pains. Um, I think uh, when it comes to density, you've got to look at the, the right kind of density, the right mix, once again, with the housing. Um, there are a couple of projects that I could reference in my district, one on Townsend, which is looking at 300 units, which will really change you know, the entire composition of this particular neighborhood, and residents are deeply concerned. And so that is too much, the par- and they'll never have enough parking. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more parking you have, the more cars you'll attract. Exactly. Um, and there are too many cars, and that's why we have this new normal of this crazy traffic in the city. There's another project uh, closer to where I live that you know I supported uh, during the uh, ZBA hearing um, that had, as of right, five units. Um, some of the neighbors thought six was a good mix. They wanted to do eight. By doing eight... One, this was a builder that was doing kind of um, sustainable building, nice, nice and green, so environmentally friendly. Um, they had more parking than actual number of units. Um, but most important, those two additional units would have brought the, the uh, cost of the, and this was all home ownership, would have brought the cost down to under 400000 That's what they were hoping by adding those two additional units, we can get the cost down. Without it, it would have been 600 plus, which in the average, you know, home price in Roxbury, $680,000. So those two additional units could bring the cost down. We can't say we're concerned about gentrification and displacement and, and worry about our own parking needs um, and fight against a, 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 a project that would have only brought two additional units. Versus, so instead of six, eight. Right. Well, that's that sounds like kind of the, the which is very different than the three hundred right. on the other side, um, <clears throat> right? Which you know is is I think a, a big concern. So you know you've got to make sure you have that right mix of housing, um, and you've got to prioritize people over parking. Right. Absolutely. And uh, it does sound like that's kind of the ideal, though, kind of win-win to look for, where you're responding to kind of the the the, the demand side, the kind of demand for more housing, but by doing it, that was uh, a project that was also able to lower the kind of entry price uh, and address not just the, the sort of overall demand for units, but it addressed some of the issue around, around housing affordability. Yeah, I think, it's, I think it's, it's about exactly that kind of conversation the counselor had. I think it's about having that conversation uh, about you know, the, um, the increased density or, or the variance, having that, but having it tied to to really producing the kind of housing that we need, um, and, and you know that that's the conversation that we need to have in so many 
so many communities. I mean, in, in, in right in my neighborhood, right on Geneva Ave, um, you know, a similar story is kind of playing out in the earlier stages where, you know, the developers pr- proposing eight. Um, I would like to see more because it's literally right across the street from a, a train station. It's um, it's on a, on a one story uh, vacant retail use. So you're not you know displacing anybody. You know, I would like to see more if they can um, if they can tie that to those more units bringing the price of it down. Um, and so I, th- I think it's absolutely having those conversations and really, um, you know, really like you like said, challenging our neighbors on that on, you know, you can't talk about um, wanting less traffic and wanting, you know, more affordability. And then also say, well, if it's between, and I, this was a quote literally said, if it's between having a respectable number of people um, and quality of life or affordability, I'll go with quality of life. And so that's when it's about pushing that and saying, you know, Qual, you know, it's an, their an extra, quality of life, but it's sure an extra two people, others. an extra two to four people um, is is not going to ruin your quality of life. Not you know, and and especially in the, in this site that is ironically right across from train station, but also right across from a a truck loading zone um, in the backside of a, of a grocery store. You know, I, I don't think that you know some building is going to to um, to to change the look of a neighborhood. Right. Well, I want to thank you both. Uh, so much for coming in. It's been a great conversation. Uh, Jared Johnson, uh, thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for joining me. And thanks for having me. Boston City Councilor Kim Janey, thanks to you, too. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And this has been another episode of the podcast from Commonwealth Magazine. I'm Michael Jonas. Uh, listen to us every week here. Uh, we'll see you next time.